your source for Big Ten talk. It's off tackle Empire. Welcome back to Off Topple Empire, where we have, I swear to you, tried diligently for the last uh, couple hours to, to, to implement a solution to our lackluster audio quality, specifically the fact that we're real far away from two sides of the same stereo mic, but it just wouldn't play nice, and so at some point we're gonna have to get to sleep. Therefore, we just reverted to what we've been doing all along. So. Suffer a little bit more. In the arms of the angel. Speaking of suffering a little bit more, I would argue that more fan bases disliked this week than liked it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Not a not a better week for. Uh, no, I mean, so look, it, it the winning half of all the blowouts we saw this week were of the of the schools and of the fan bases we were. This is what they expect every week, and so they're just satisfied. Like, this is what we expected. It's what we wanted. And then there are plenty, like, in the closer games, there are reasons for consternation in the wins. And, of course, now that we're in a conference play, a whole bunch of people taking big, fat L's. But we're burying the lead a little bit here. Rest in peace, Chris Ash era at Rutgers. Yep. That rarest of beasts, the September firing, has at long last happened in the aftermath of a 52 to nothing defeat at the hands of the Michigan Wolverines, which can't have made them feel particularly good. So it appears on the surface, but the discussion that I saw in some sources indicated that the groundwork for this was actually laid two weeks previously, and that the reason for the delay was just the Board of Trustees getting the financial details worked out. I assume they were bringing their piggy banks in and smashing them open to scrape together the buyout. If that's true, and I don't know if it is or not, I'm not exactly in the building in, um, it's not Fisca, is East Orange the place where they actually are? I don't know. In whatever part of New Jersey the Board of Trustees meets, we're not there, so we don't know if this is true. But if it is, and they made the decision to fire him two weeks earlier, that would have been after the Iowa loss in week three. Week three, they made the decision to move on from week three. That was, well, wait a second. Hadn't they had a bye, too? So, yeah. were they at that point one and one? Yeah, they had the UMass win. Two games into the season? Then... So, that raises the question. Why did you bother not firing him at the end of last season? They just lit another year on fire. Wasting a year of recruiting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he wasn't... You didn't need him for recruiting continuity. Um, no. And... What was even the point of all this? I don't know, man. They didn't I, save much money at all. No, because as as I believe we've discussed before, our understanding of his contract was that his buyout dropped substantially in December, which would be after the regular season's complete. They didn't wait for that. The only thing I came up with, and I don't know if you agree with this or not, is they already know that they're hiring Greg Schiano, who is currently unemployed, and he told them, truthfully or otherwise, hire me now or I'm going to find another job. That's the only thing I can think of. Nothing else makes any sense to me about why they fire him now. They haven't now. Granted, they haven't announced Shiano as the guy yet. Maybe he's not. And if that's the case, I don't know what you're doing because all your other candidates are in the middle of a season. Nobody, nobody who you want is gonna leave their job in like week six 
to come and coach you now. You're going to be saddled with this interim the rest of the year. What was the point? Why not let Chris Ash play out the fiddle here? I like that they play also. I like that they also fired the offensive coordinator. <laughs> yeah. Oh, hey, you too. Yeah. Fuck out. Get the fuck out of here. Like, well, I'm not sure what that accomplished, but uh, I mean, it, yeah, it just doesn't make any sense. And that, honestly, the Greg Schiano thing is a very charitable read of the thing because otherwise, you know, Les Miles isn't out there. Like, no. who's out there? Mark Richt? I get, but he's retired. He just left his last job, which was his alma mater. He's not coming back to coach for you. <laughs> I think he kind of got forced out there, but like I, maybe. It's still know. like it, you know, there is not a Les Miles Kansas situation that is imminent right now, unless of course Auburn does lose a game at some point this year and finally sate their bloodlust. <sighs> but it, it just doesn't make any sense to like last year was the time to fire him if you were going to do this. I mean, of course, Chiano resigned his position with the Patriots recently. Yeah. So... Probably to come and take this interview. So. Yeah, that... I mean, that that's the most charitable reading, but, like, now you've... You, you've... You subjected fans to 2015, which was kind of like a, a, a nothing season where everything fell apart. 2016 which was a horrible punt of a season where like you could nobody could have coached that team to a winning record that you, there was so much noise that you wouldn't have been able to tell if the coach was any good 2017 which was kind of like a bunch of false hope even after they lost to Eastern Michigan they won three Big 10 games with good defense and then 2018 they just you know somehow regressed from there and it seems like a foregone conclusion that the dude was a lame duck okay so you had no intention of keeping him around long term, as evidenced by this short leash, right? But at the same time, you still wasted another year of everybody's lives. Yeah, it's a it's a head scratcher, and it's not like the neighborhood's getting any easier. You know, Ryan Day is a first year head coach now, but do you think? Do we think? Is there any sign that he's that he's going to lose his momentum there? I mean. Maryland also has a new head coach this year. He may, he's, the, the shine has certainly come off of him. We'll get to that in a minute. But I, I think his trajectory is already better than yours because of the head start he's gotten on recruiting. I mean, yeah, he never stopped recruiting the D.C. area. Yeah. And he, he, that's, that's why he was at the places that he was at. Yeah. So it, it's hard to understand. But why don't we actually take a quick moment to address the game? I actually went to this game in person. Well, let's also let's, let's say a couple of other things here. Uh, interim head coach Nunzio Campanile, a uh, very very Rutgers. Hey, blah, 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 blah. yeah, I don't know, man. Right, it's uh... uh Chris Ash leaves Rutgers eight and thirty-two, with <laughs> a three and twenty-six record in conference play. That's actually worse than Daryl Hazel, who finished nine and thirty-three with a three and twenty-four. Yeah, conference I, record. I'm not even gonna check. That's that's worse than Hazel. That's worse than Beckman. That's worse than Brewster. Nobody has touched this probably since like Northwestern in the eighties. Yeah, it's. I mean, because in the last thirty years, this has to be the worst performance by a four-year coach. I mean, Jerry Donardo was pretty bad, but he only stuck around for two, three years. Right. But this has got to be the worst four-year coaching performance in the Big Ten, which is amazing because Daryl Hazel and Lovey Smith have happened. Right. Um, this was peak Sitkowski, 17 for 24 for 106 yards. Um, Blackshear is the leading receiver for Rutgers 
with 29 catches for 310 yards, two touchdowns. That's on the season, of course. On the season. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the next leading is Melton with 11 catches for two. Blackshear also led last year with 367 <coughs> yards on 44 catches. Um, yeah, that works out to, what, like eight yards a catch last season? And uh, Yeah. Boy, he's an interesting player, but even, like, all right, they were clearly outmanned, and you saw, like, Michigan got pressure consistently with a four-man rush, and this Michigan defensive front is not as good as the ones they've had the last couple of years. There's no Chase Windovich or Mo Hurst or Rashawn Gary. None of them, they had nobody like any of those guys on this line. They were still consistently getting pressure. Sikowski looks better. He looks like a quarterback who belongs on a football field, but I don't think they called any pass plays where the ball traveled more than 15 yards through the air downfield. I really don't remember any. And I watched pretty much every last second of this damn game. Um, yeah, it. I don't know what they thought they were trying to do here. It, it, they're not good enough to 15-yard drive their way down the field against Michigan. They got close a couple times. They had a couple extended drives, but they just couldn't. They, they failed on a fourth down conversion from goal to go. I think they turned the ball over deep in Michigan territory one other time too, but that was, I mean, that was it. They had like two drives that had any substance to them whatsoever. They had special teams disasters. They fumbled, I think they fumbled the second half kickoff and Michigan immediately punched it in. It was, no, there was no part of this game where Rutgers looked like they belonged on the same field. They had, the only thing I would say is if you're a Michigan fan, there are some storm clouds on the horizon still even in this performance, because they still could not run the ball. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird, because they still only ran for 3.4 yards per carry, 15 yards being the longest rushing play. Yeah. Like, congratulations on all the points, but Iowa did the whole run them into the ground thing better. Yeah, and scoring fewer points, but... Uh... But well, it's, it's Rutgers. What does it matter? Yeah. Yeah, and this, granted, some of these averages are dragged down a little bit by the fact that Michigan did spend most of the fourth quarter with backups and backups of backups on the field. Um, but even when the starters were in, they, they're they not getting the kind of push that they should be getting in the run game with the continuity they have on the line. I get that they're young at tailback, but there are some issues here. I mean, the encouraging thing is when they were on the goal line, Patterson did think to start tucking it and running. He had three touchdowns on the ground. And the other thing is, when they're throwing the ball downfield, it's hard to stop, man. I don't know how you guard Nico Collins and Donovan Peoples-Jones on jump balls, especially when they're on the field at the same time. And you have Tariq Black, who's another gigantic target. But even in this game, they, they didn't take nearly as many of those shots as they should. But this offense will be at its best if they make it more of a one-read offense. Kind of like, I mean, heck, Shea Patterson, when he was at Ole Miss, ran something like that when he had access to Metcalf and Brown and all those guys, they have comparable talent to that at Michigan. Maybe not quite that level of physical superlative quality, but these receivers are by far the strength of the Michigan team, the whole team, not just the offense, but it's the best unit they've got, one of the better units in the conference. So when they completed passes downfield, were there any uh, Bronx cheers? Like, finally, (laughs) you threw the ball to the receivers, you idiot. (laughs) Well, the first one was... It was probably, I'd call it like an intermediate distance route to Collins, and then he broke like a couple tackles and ran for a long touchdown. And no, the big house does not sarcastically cheer for Michigan, at least not when I was there. Nor, well, nor do they cheer for Michigan in any way, sarcastic or otherwise. No. What was the atmosphere like? Was it more somber than usual? No, not really. Not somber, solemn. I mean, no, I wouldn't say so. I (laughs) would 
I was wearing a Michigan State hat though, and I got very, I mean, even walking around tailgates, I get, you know, people occasionally be like, oh, hey, that's the wrong hat. And that was as aggressive as any of them got. Nobody was talking any shit, even though Michigan State kind of looked like trash last week too, in a lot of ways. Uh, there was one guy in the stadium who was a little bit more belligerent and clearly was willing to start at least a, a yelling match, if not something more than that. As I'm like walking past him with concessions, and he, I don't even remember what he yelled. Um, but he's turned and yelled to him, hey, I'm paying for your coach's buyout here, gesturing to my, you know, $17 worth of concessions. And I got a solid round of laughter. Uh, there were, there <laughs> oh, were a boy. lot. There was, people appreciated that. Um, oh, boy. <laughs> now, granted, that's, although I also, and I don't have a picture, so I can't prove that it happened. But in the ticket line, there was a guy probably 15 feet or so in front of me who I could not get a clear angle on for the life of me. Wearing a shirt that just said, printed across the back in capital letters, Harbaugh is a fraud. Was it Mason Blue? Yes. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. So he clearly has a t-shirt guy who could print. I, I can't say for sure that it was the officially licensed, you know, like the trademark shades that the school uses, like the official school colors. <laughs> I don't think it was that. It was like a more of a pale yellowish. But uh, yeah, Harbaugh is a fraud. I'll never forget that. Oh, man, what number did Harbaugh wear when he was at Michigan? Do you happen to remember? I think it was a single-digit four, maybe. Okay, so 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 the on-brand thing to do would be Jim, Har- Jim Harbaugh is a FR4UD. <laughs> yeah, like, like respect. Read to pecked. Although, I will say in the hype video at the big house, they do have a couple shots of Derek Jeter in there. And I just, I just said out loud to no one in particular, you know he didn't go here, right? And <laughs> nobody reacted. I mean, it was loud enough that it's possible nobody heard me, but... <laughs> he, not, not only did he not go there, he also didn't play football. No. <laughs> no. Other, diff, totally, totally different sport. Totally different sport. Uh, whatever. So, anyway, there was another shutout this week. And it was of our other red school out east that we added recently. Uh-huh. And this is a six-and-a-half-point spread in this Penn State-Maryland Friday Night Lights game. The events that followed were swift and unspeakable. Yeah, so remember before the Temple game when Maryland had to add seats to their stadium so more people could watch this game? That may have been an error. I wonder if they had fans leaving, like, just... Like, as they were on their way out in the first quarter, like, took down some of the bleachers. Like, just, you know, hey, everybody, <laughs> you like, do those your, up. We all, yeah. we got, we set those yeah, up Yeah, you know, for do, you. Do, do your part here. If you want, you want just, to help us break down, we'd appreciate you know, it. Look, you if everybody grab... just grabs one corner here, then we can get this all done in an orderly fashion before they score again. Oh, God damn it. Oh, I have a couple. Can. If you guys could empty that trash can there, the one that our Maryland writer was puking in before he left the game at halftime. Um, we'd much appreciate that. Oh, no, I'm sorry. It was his wife who was puking the trash can. <laughs> yeah, um, uncl- unclear if she'd been drinking or not, or if she was just reacting to the game because the yardage was 619 to 128. Yeah, this game was. Ooh, uh, this got out of hand fast. <laughs> this game was not as close as it appeared from the final score. Aye, aye, aye. Look, if <laughs> if you're Maryland, I have no idea where you are right now. I mean, you. <laughs> I think you got to be right around where you were before the season. I mean, well, but before the season, people were talking like three and nine. I, I don't think that's where they are because there's playing. I mean, they play Rutgers. That's a win, isn't it? I yeah. guess we'll find out. That's but oh my god. Where's their other wins? Win. 
And that's probably a win, but where's their other win? I think Indiana's well, okay. better than them. This game against Penn State was probably like their D-minus game, right? Like, yeah. yeah, I think Indiana's better, but not so much better that they're definitely going to win. But Maryland also, as we went over, they have a tough schedule. Yeah. Uh, I mean, at Purdue, maybe just because Purdue is so Just because so Purdue might not have 22 players yeah. left by then. So, so three and nine, not out of the question. They're, they're probably best case scenario is four and eight at this point. Yeah, um, because they're they've got crossovers: Purdue, Minnesota, and Nebraska, and those are all teams that are probably better than them, except for Purdue, which again is just having one of those throwaway years with injuries, which happens. There's, which I mean, yeah. there's only so much you can do about that. You if it's if it's something like all your guys have oblique strains and stuff, it's like, well, are you really, like, is your strength and conditioning in order? Are you stretching properly? But when your quarterback breaks his clavicle, when your starting running back breaks his jaw, like, <laughs> what are you going to do? So this is basically, I see this as a market correction for Maryland because their their stack was overinflated after beating Purdue, or not Purdue, Syracuse, yeah, which, who, as it turns out, was really struggling to replace uh, Eric Dungy, yeah. at quarterback. And so now we realize that they weren't ever as good as we as people thought they could have been. Um, It'll be an interesting. But nobody, you know, nobody is thinking that they're worse than they thought they'd be before the season. No. Right now. Well, I mean, yeah, because that if you thought they're worse, then you'd think they're a one or two win team, and they got two already. Um, as for what to think of Penn State after this, interesting question. So, this is by far the best Penn State has looked all year. It's also probably by far the game that, I mean, is it fair to say it's a game they've cared about the most? I don't know if I ever buy that a team like Penn State really doesn't care about a game like Pitt. I think they cared perfectly fine. First of all, Pitt's defense, it turns out, may actually be legitimate. So the fact that Penn State got into kind of a low-scoring slugfest with them may not actually reflect badly on <laughs> They got into a low-scoring shootout because there were a lot of yards. Well, sure, but that's what I mean is, you know... Yards for what to what end? Yeah. So, um, I lost my train of thought. But in any case, it may be that getting into kind of a poorly executed game against Pitt may not be the worst thing in the world for Penn State. They're not going to be challenged likely next week with the home matchup with Purdue. I guess we'll see with Penn State whether they're actually in a league with Ohio State. I question. Can they handle Michigan State and Michigan? Yeah, probably. I would probably favor Penn State in both of those games after what we've seen thus far this season. There's basically there's no evidence to suggest that Penn State can compete with Ohio State, but at this point there's also no evidence to suggest that they can't. Sure. And speaking of Ohio State, uh, boy, game day, you sure know how to pick them. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this. What, what else can you say? This was exactly what we thought it was going to be. I yeah. thought that 17.5-point spread was Easy really money. generous for Nebraska. Free money. We thought, ah, uh, boy. So it goes. Another Ohio State blowout. Yeah. I mean, if if there are any weaknesses on this team, they've yet to play anyone capable of exploiting them. Can we sim this weekend? Do I have to watch this shit? I don't really want. Dobbins had 177 yards on 24 carries, but once again, it's hard to even know what this means because Nebraska's not. No, a Nebraska's great not a formidable foe, and they have yet to correct their turnover problems either. If Nebraska, this is this is becoming a thing for Nebraska. This whole turnover thing—you can whip the ball up and down the field as much as you want with a, an explosive offense, but if you're giving your opponent that many more possessions, you're not going to win many of these games. You're not good enough for that. I mean, 
Your defense can't clean up these mistakes, and your offense can't compensate them by scoring on every drive they don't turn it over. It's hard to overstate the extent to which they damn near lost to Illinois solely by turning it over deep in their own territory a bunch of times. So What are you eating? Martinez threw three picks, was ineffective, but I mean, once again, this defense is one of the is one of the better ones that we've seen from Ohio State lately. Open your mouth. What are you eating? Not you. R2. Qu'est-ce que tu manges? That's gone, isn't it? I hope you maybe you're just drinking water. Alright. Well anyway, um I thought you were just gonna go ahead and whip through aisle while I was trying to pry my dog's mouth open. Because there's not much to say about this yeah. game either. What else can you say about, I mean, most of the Ohio State games? And what, uh... Didn't I say? Didn't I see somewhere that this is our yardage record for Iowa under Kirk Ferentz? Like 600-something, whatever they ended up with? <laughs> Hang on, let's, um, let's consult the game notes here because I'm... I don't think I'm stroking out right now, so I'm pretty sure that's the case. Here's what the notes say for this one in our outline. Iowa 48, Middle Tennessee 3. Subpoint A. Yep. Subpoint B. Nearly seven yards per carry for Iowa. No turnovers. All you need to know. Subpoint C. I'm bored. 644 total yards. Uh, the recap I'm looking at doesn't mention anything about it. Uh, but look, this is a, obviously a positive sign for Iowa, not only because of the win, but because of the manner of the win. Showing a well-balanced offense, powerful defense. Now they're going into the big house next week, and that's going to be a different beast. Michigan's always substantially better at home. The last time, I did, did they play last year? I don't believe so. I don't know when they met. In, I think it was the year before they played in Kinnick, and I think Iowa beat them there. It wasn't yes. just last year, but in any case, this is probably. I mean, that's certainly to me going to be the game of the week next week because yeah, I don't think Michigan. Sure. I don't think Michigan State gives Ohio State a game. I don't, um, and we don't want to get too far in the preview of that, but. Well, when you look at the, compare the games that Middle Tennessee has played against Michigan and Iowa, yeah. and uh, boy, Iowa looks like the team Jim Harbaugh wishes he had. Right, and It's absent, like the kind of team that he wants to have. With kind of a short amount of evidence here still early in the season, isn't a mutual opponent a decent enough way when you've played them in that close of proximity to each other? Um, you could do worse, otherwise we're just kind of looking at stats, so... Yeah, you know. Nothing will be as illuminating as the head-to-head next week. Yeah. So, that's all there is to say about Iowa. Um, Minnesota, 38, Purdue, 31. Sindelar, Elijah Sindelar, starting quarterback for Purdue, has broken his clavicle, and Rondale Moore, on the same play, suffered a hamstring injury. That's one of those things where if you're watching at home, I think you just get up and leave the room. Maybe leave the house, uh, depending on... Where you live, you know, if, like if you're in an apartment complex, maybe just walk into like your neighbor's unit to help yourself with something in their fridge. Like, I live here now. I want to live your life because I don't want to live a life. <coughs> that being said, if you're a Purdue fan, you have to love the fight that they had to keep attacking in the second half with so many of their starters or star players out. They didn't give up, scored two late touchdowns to make it a one possession game against a fully healthy Minnesota. Yeah, we'd be remiss not to point out the incredibly efficient game that Tanner Morgan in the passing game for Minnesota had, but this Purdue defense has not been much for most of the season. So you kind of expect that. And again, to, to let an opponent back in the game like this is not an encouraging sign. When you when they lose their se- their starter, their quarterback, and their best player in the same play, you would expect to be able to take the fight out of them a little bit better than that. 
there are better games on Minnesota's schedule eventually where that kind of that you know this letting an inferior opponent hang around is going to cost them eventually. Sweet Lord, when you look at what when you look at what Purdue is now in light of all their injuries, is next week's game a step up for Minnesota? Maybe <laughs> not unthinkable. Um, I mean, Purdue is just you know there's no long there's no cause for long term panic here if you're a Purdue fan because Brown is still recruiting well and and again you know hey. He still they, they still fought and they made it a game even with everything going against them here. But I mean, Minnesota's got really good receivers and Purdue doesn't seem to have much of a secondary, so they finally decided, well, the run doesn't necessarily need to be established if we can just throw it to the receivers. It's a pattern that's forming in this conference where we're not establishing the run quite the way Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We got Wisconsin Northwestern. Okay, thank God. We're going to establish the run in Wisconsin Northwestern. Okay. Whew, lost track of who we were for a second there. But, uh, yeah, this this game this game is one you can predictably skip. Somebody's going to end up in the teens, and it's not going to be a number like 14 or 17 that you recognize and understand how they got to that number. It's going to be you're going to get a 15 in this game reliably every yeah, year. An 11 or a 19. Yeah, 18, 19. <laughs> yeah, like, was like, I guess I can think of how you 12. get to that number, but why? Like, why would you get to that? Uh, this game is just always frustrating for anyone, whether it be a Wisconsin fan, a Northwestern fan, or a neutral observer, or someone who's never even seen football before. Especially a neutral observer. I th- for Wisconsin, maybe this is a little bit easy to explain because... I've you you often hear coaches say that look you're not going to get your best game out of your team every week and there's only so many times a season you can expect them to actually be firing on all cylinders. Wisconsin fired one of those bullets last week against Michigan. That to me is the easiest explanation. Is coming off of the high of that kind of devastating victory. Of course they're not going to be quite as sharp. Of course they're going to read their press clippings. Of course. They're gonna skip a couple walkthroughs in the playbook with the playbook, you know. I mean, it's I think it's inevitable. They're college kids. Well, they're the, so basically, what you're saying is they were still they were still gorging themselves like on Wednesday. They were still gorging themselves on the carcass of Michigan soul, the big hunt that they'd had there, right? You know, and <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. the offense could get nothing going. Just 13 first downs, 243 yards. The defense, on the other hand, scored twice. Yeah, and that's so you think about the total in this game, 24 to 15. And keep in mind, Wisconsin had two defensive touchdowns. And that's why I, you know, I don't know if we'll see it next week necessarily. I guess we'll see. But I don't think that what we've seen from Northwestern so far is what their season is going to be. There's two months left. September is over as we sit here recording on October 1st. Um, They woke up a little bit, though, because... Things got weird as they often do in Northwestern games in the fourth quarter as Wisconsin fumbled, muffed an onside kick, and generally gave Northwestern every chance to come back into the game because that's just what happens. In the, late in these games, Northwestern's opponents just completely forget what they're doing. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing here is, of course, Pat Fitzgerald, the Galaxy Brain head coach who understands everything, who, who, may, who can't make any incorrect decisions... Um, would like to once again condescend to all of us idiot football fans who pay his salary and make his lifestyle possible by explaining that actually going for two there is the right decision. So, you know, hashtag get fucked or whatever he, he ended up saying. Yeah, so 
24-3 was the score when they got that first touchdown off the Wisconsin turnover. Uh, it's 24-9. They... You're gonna if you're going to tie the game up, you can just kick extra points. But if you're going to go for the win, well then eventually you're gonna need to do a two pointer. So so do they, it right now. Do it right now. <laughs> yeah. And then that way, if you don't get it, which they didn't, the next time you have to do it to make up for the point you already yeah. So now you need board. two of them. So and then they then you they, don't get that second one either, and so now it's. A nine-point game, a two-possession game. Yes, the second one was a lot more bizarre <laughs> because this is a nine-point game right now, and you kick an extra point, and it's a one-possession game. You go for two, and you can make it a one-possession game. <laughs> or you can make it a two-possession game, and that's what happened. Not that it ended up mattering because Northwestern never scored again, but if it's a one-possession game, again, I think subconsciously the pressure ratchets up on Wisconsin a little bit. Maybe they get a little tired. Maybe somebody makes a mistake that you can capitalize on. So my theory as to why he did this is because it's part of the meta strategy that 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 has their opponents always so confused and wandering around, wondering what in the hell they're even doing. So you just you, you got to increase the net stupid in the game. You yeah. got to increase, maximize the total stupidity going on in the game. Just. Just, just maximum confusion. So the Wisconsin coaching staff will see this and be like, "Wait, what? Why would he do that? Well, what are we? What, what sport are we even playing? Yeah, I don't know. Is, uh, is this baseball uh, now? Uh, 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 oh my Sam? god! No, no, no! Call back! Call back the hands team! No, no, no! Let's let's just run. Uh, let's Sam. run our base defense against this kickoff. <laughs> Put what on, what, what the, sport are we playing? Put on the hit and run. I need somebody to steal second. Yeah, that's that's kind of what it comes down to. It, it, Pat Fitzgerald in this game is basically just the Evanston Dojo uh, deploying the drunken monkey style. That's all that that was. And he can come up with whatever nonsensical, you know, sticking his chin out, acting like a hard-ass excuse that he wants. It was a dumbass decision. Everybody knows it. He didn't have an explanation, so he got all belligerent. That's it. That's... Pat Fitzgerald's base play in the press conference. So <laughs> that's all there is to see here. Um, last thing, Michigan State 40, Indiana 31. And we only get to 40 because after Michigan State kicked a late field goal with like five seconds left, which, by the way, they totally dwarfed that clock management situation. If they wanted to do that and set themselves up for a game-winning field goal as time expired, they could have done that, but they fucked it up. So they ended up having to kick to Indiana. Fortunately, Indiana in the lateral attempts did end up fumbling, and then it was a defensive touchdown as time expired. So that's how, despite kicking a, quote, last-second field goal, MSU won by nine points. It wasn't that they found a way to kick a nine-point field goal, because if there was, D'Antonio would have been raptured and gone to heaven at the idea of never having to try to score a touchdown again. Man, if Lewerke had scored on that run with the, over a minute left... Oh, Indiana would have tied the game. That, Absolutely. Yeah, that would have been a very with different game. the way game. Indiana's receivers were playing against Indiana... I don't know what it is about playing Michigan State that turns Wap failure into fucking Jerry Rice. But there's... I mean, I tried to look for this briefly, but I couldn't conveniently find it. There's probably somewhere a database that'll tell me what the record is for career receptions against a single opponent. I think Wap Fillier's got a shot to break that next year if he, for one thing, stays. I don't know if he's a candidate to go pro or not. I don't think he's especially big, so probably not. But if he How stays, long are his arms? Not as long as the guys blocking for him. Donovan Hale and Nick Westbrook blocking on those receiver screens were 
devastating. And boy, did they put some shit on film that I'm sure Ohio State's going to make use of, which I'm not thrilled about because, hey, does Ohio State have any really big, strong receivers? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not. Uh, <laughs> so what's, what's there to worry about? I'm not worried. You're worried. Uh, <laughs> look, from the Indiana perspective, Lucy pulling the football, man. Yep, they get <laughs> once again so close, right to the brink of a big win. I mean, they... The turn was abrupt even for them, though. It was... I couldn't tell you how much time was left. It was in the fourth quarter. Indiana had closed it. They force a punt. They get a big punt return, but they commit a penalty during the return that it go. I mean, seriously, it was... I think it was like a 55-yard punt and a 50-yard return. But it was wiped out by a penalty basically where the punt was caught. So not only is that whole return gone, but now they're back they're back like at like the eleven or the thirteen or something. And then they punt it away and Brandon Sowards makes probably the best play of his career so far and gets a good return and then FSU goes ahead. Um, but yeah, it uh, certainly some vulnerability in the MSU secondary exposed here. Yet another instance of it, like, a couple times a season, some opponent will just discover, like, hey, actually, we shouldn't really try to run against this defense at all because it's just lighting a down on fire. Run just enough to make them think you're going to continue to run it so that they prevent you from establishing the run and play this base defense where corners are kind of vulnerable. Safeties aren't great in coverage. Linebackers get burned occasionally. It, you know, this MSU defense is vulnerable through the air. Most opponents in this conference just don't want to do it. And so it doesn't end up burning them all that often, but it nearly did in this game, and I have very little confidence they're going to get those things corrected next week. Plus, they're going to be playing a defense that is going to do a lot more to stop MSU's offense than Indiana did. I do have to give the Spartan offense credit for being the part of the team that drags the team to a victory. Sooner or later, we'll get a complete performance. I don't know what that'll look like. I guess it'll look like the Western Michigan game. We're going to have to put the neon uniforms back on, aren't we? Man, and I know Indiana's sick of hearing hearing this, but they have a good team. I mean, they, functionally, they... No, they're know, getting better. They, they hung right in there. Like, you, you can't say that Indiana is a, is a noticeably worse team than Michigan State at this point. They, nope. they, they traded blows. They went back and forth all day. And, you know, I'm sure the post-game win expectancy is going to be under 60% for Michigan State. That... Yep, and that's... Uh, if they played that game again next week, Indiana could easily win it. Yeah, they played ten times. They Penix probably, looked they great. They probably split 5-5, and that's what I was going to get to next. Yeah, that... I know this is frustrating, but keep in mind, this is a freshman quarterback. This is still a pretty young defense, I believe, for the most part. Um, you know, it's going to hurt losing Westbrook and Hale next year because they make this screen game so dynamic with the way they block, but you'll have Stevie Scott back, Lafillier, Freifogel... The offensive line's pretty young. They started a true freshman at left tackle after losing Coy Cronk, and he looks just fine. Now, part of that's because of a quick passing offense they used, but there's still plenty of reason for optimism for Indiana fans here. I know they're tired of hearing it. I would be too, but as, I mean, I'm not unbiased in this game, but from what I've seen of them this season, there is lots of reason for long-term optimism. And they're, they're, they've got seven games left to win three. Yeah, and granted... And, and right, and Michigan State and Ohio State are already done. Yeah, none of them, neither of them went the way you wanted, but two of the four difficult games are gone. They're done. Purdue's going to be broken by the time you get to them. Northwestern is Northwestern. Rutgers is it Rutgers. It doesn't particularly matter how good you are against Northwestern. Sometimes you win <laughs> and sometimes you don't. Yeah. 
Um, so, elsewhere. Clemson damn near pulled off the dick trip of the year with Mac Brown's North Carolina failing on a two-point conversion that would have put them ahead with a minute change remaining. I appreciate the decision to go for two points there. I don't know why the play call was it was a speed option, right? Yeah. Against Clemson's defense, maybe not the best choice, but look, this was not a high-scoring game. It wasn't a shootout. When you're in this situation, the longer the game goes, the more likely you are to be outperformed by a vastly superior opponent. Okay, so you don't want, like, yeah, that's, you want to try to end this game as early as you can. That's always the decision if you're an underdog. Go for the win. It just didn't work out in this case. Yep. You gotta take the risks to capitalize on your opportunities when you have the shittier team, Lovey Smith. You gigantic asshole. Speaking of Lovey Smith, back Herm when, Herm Edwards. Yeah, back when we <laughs> hired Lovey Smith, who was an objectively better NFL coach than Herm Edwards and yes. had also coached much more recently than Herm Edwards, uh-huh. I said that Herm Edwards is going to be much more successful at Arizona State than Lovey Smith at Illinois. Not because, you know, yeah. Not because of anything he does, just because of the way, yeah. Yeah, there's certainly the argument to be made that, yeah, his personality is more conducive to recruiting, but the main reason is because of fucking course. Of, of course he is. Because this is Illinois. There always have to be these secondary knife twists about, and, uh, about oh, yeah, everything that you did was a stupid idea, and if you had done it stupider, maybe you would have been successful, but, <laughs> yeah, what, what, if we hired, like, Steve Spagnolo or something, would that have been better? I watched, like, uh... Oh, God. That's watch your Illini coach Ken Wisenhunt to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Watch, like, uh, watch Rutgers hire, like... Jim uh, Schwartz. Just watch. They'll hire uh, Jim Rod Marinelli. <laughs> yeah. uh, Scott Linehan. Somebody who's coached for the Lions, definitely. Is yeah, what we're getting <laughs> Maryland hires Scott Linehan. Like, uh, Jeff Fisher. Somewhere. Hey, look. It, seven wins in college will get you will get you a lifetime gig at a lot of places. <laughs> yeah, but it translates to five and seven every year. <laughs> Which, no, no, hey, come right. to think of it, I would kill to be five and seven every year. <sighs> oh, that, I think that would get old fast. I mean, I know it sounds better than what you've had, and I get that, but missing a bowl year after year, or hoping that your kid, that your players did well enough in school that you are the five and seven team that goes to the bowl, that would get old hella fast, in my opinion. Speaking of getting old, Virginia blew it uh, against Notre Dame with five turnovers, and that kind of shit has got to be getting old for them to get close to a breakthrough win. Yeah, I, I, didn't, do it. I didn't watch. I, I was team media. Five, I think, second half turnovers lost by 15 points to Notre Dame. Shame on you, Virginia. Yeah. Um, Pitt does pit things. They after, after beating ranked UCF... They escaped Delaware 17-14. to 14. Although I, I do think it has to be said, I believe they sat their starting quarterback. I don't think Kenny Pickett played. I guess that, but you know, it's still Kenny it's Pickett. Still, still yes, he can. <laughs> it's still Delaware. Um, Nick Rolovich's unstoppable Rainbow Warrior death machine uh, trounced Nevada 54-3. Who's going to hire Nick Rolovich away and have it be a complete failure? <laughs> and why is it Illinois? Isn't he, I mean, doesn't he feel like, basically like an exotic plant, where like, if you remove him from his Hawaiian soil... I really gonna... hope he stays at Hawaii. I mean, he was a Hawaii yeah. quarterback. He's a Hawaii yeah. lifer. Right, that's why, that's why I'm saying like, 
it's great. It's cool that it's working for him there, but I really hope he stays because I don't think it's going to go well if he goes anywhere else. Um, yeah. And, and the other thing is, man, his, his Twitter game is incredible. Um, speaking of Twitter games, uh, Mike Leach reminding us that actually there are decidedly two coins to this whole wacky public persona he's got. Yeah, so they melted down. Under the bus. Yeah, yeah. They melted down 38-13 at Utah. It was rainy. Utah's got a great defense. Uh, I, I didn't think they were going to win this game. No, I didn't. I ran away. I mean, Anthony Gordon's been... Anthony? That's his name? Yeah. He's been the top fantasy player in JMC all season. I parked his ass on the bench. Was not going to touch this game. 13 points later, totally correct. Yeah. And so Mike Leach then said that the players were, I believe the words that he used were, fat, dumb, happy, and entitled. Or fat, stupid, happy, and entitled. Which is weird because this isn't last year. They're not ranked highly. They lost already and got kicked out of the rankings, I think. So I don't know why he thinks that's the thing, but he's, you know. Hey, Coach Leach, why are your players like that? Sounds like their coach has failed in some areas. Yeah, Who's like, that guy? It's almost as though somebody's in charge of developing these young people and isn't doing a great job. Also, Mike sense. Leach calling any college football player fat. Yeah, he's not in the greatest shape. I mean, um, <laughs> Georgia Tech got deuced by Temple, which is only notable because <laughs> they got deuced. 24-2. to Yeah. Uh, UMass held off a furious rally from Akron to win the Toilet Bowl 37-29. Akron is 0-5. Speaking of 0-5, Rice was so goddamn close to finally getting a conference win against Skip Holtz's Louisiana Tech, only to fall in overtime because they just decided that they were going to be Diet Stanford and run up the middle all overtime. Well, you know, they've got the academics in common. Oh, so painful. But the dick trip of the week pretty much... I mean, not much spectacular. So I believe that the dick trip of the week is Kansas State losing at home to Oak State. Which, to be fair, it's only dick trip by the definition of ranked, unranked. Yeah, and that's still, home. you know, the way Chris Kleeman's apparently going to move for this program forward, finally get them past Bill Snyder. I don't think you're going to be too upset about that if you're a Wildcat fan. Absolutely. And Oklahoma State... Whether they're having a good season overall or not, they're always a live wire because of how their offense operates. Oh, they so. damn near beat Texas. Yeah. And Chubba Hubbard ran for nearly 300 yards. Like So, looking elsewhere, um, you want to visit the hot seat watch here. Obviously, Chris Ash is fired, so his seat is en fuego and is now Ashes itself. Yep. Uh, Lovey, as we all know, is a dead man walking. Uh, it seems like it'll be a serious referendum on... You know, whether or not they have any shot to make a bowl game uh, this weekend against Minnesota. Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech lost 45-10 to Duke and is now 0-2 to start ACC play, and things are getting ugly there. Yeah, I, I don't think he makes it to the end of the season. Yeah, boy, that he uh, he lost his shine fast. And it's still, I mean, we talk about this every time they lose another one of these hideous games. It's baffling because he felt like a home run higher, yeah, didn't he? Like, he really seemed like a sure thing. And it turns out that, honestly, plucking Bronco Mendenhall out of his Mormon kingdom was probably the better move. Yeah, it certainly Nobody, looks like I mean, now. I don't think anybody thought that was going to work. At no. least I didn't. I, I didn't. Maybe, maybe I some commentators did, but yeah, I was like, it, you, you put him where? Uh, <laughs> and that turns out to be the better move, so you never can tell. Um, looking at our usual suspects, Gus Malzahn hasn't lost the game yet, so he's not fired yet. Clay Helton losing a... On the road to Washington, probably not going to be much of a factor in whether he gets canned or not because Washington expected to be the class of the Pac-12. The seat's still looking cooler than expected, though. Yeah. 
which means Urban Meyer is going to settle into that broadcasting job a little more comfortably. This is going to wait on whoever loses more of Notre Dame and USC over the next couple of years. Yep, yep, yep. And I will must champ victorious against Kentucky. So actually, doesn't that put South Carolina back in the picture in the SEC East? I mean, technically. Sure. If only because they haven't played Georgia. Well, well, wait a second. They they did get a conference loss like, when they got spanked by Mizzou, so Georgia would have to lose. Yeah, well, that's why, I mean, they haven't played Georgia. Yeah. So if they play them and beat them, they've got the head-to-head. So. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, Willie Taggart got himself a win over NC State. And maybe it's time to calm down with respect to him. Yeah, I guess. And... There was always going to be a little bit of a rebuild at Florida State because, at least from what I've heard of just about how Jimbo Fisher ran things, is very different than how most other coaches do. So it was going to be a substantial culture change, even if it's not like the cupboard was empty there when Fisher left. Um, but, it, you know, there's opportunity in the ACC. I mean, granted, you're going to get taken apart by Clemson most of the time. Although, it's, you know, it's not like Clemson's looked like a superpower this year. Honestly, if we didn't do a preseason ranking, would Clemson be a top 10 team right now? Maybe there's they're five and zero, which so was Wake Forest, I believe. Yeah. So, um, yeah, just pointing that out. I mean, again, I'm sure eventually their talent's gonna look a lot better, and they're going to justify that ranking. They're going to the playoff. There's no question about that. Um, last note: UCLA lost to Arizona without Khalil Tate to drop to one and four, uh, separated from zero and five only by a preposterous comeback against Washington State. I don't know what to make of Chip Kelly anymore. Does anybody? Uh, feels like a bag of chips that's gone stale. Stalemate. Your source for Big Ten Talk. It's Off Tackle Empire.